good morning everyone and uh, welcome to worship uh, here at Valhelvi. Uh, it's nice to see some returning faces uh, with us this morning and great to see the boys and girls along too and I'll be talking to you guys uh, in a wee minute. Uh, you'll see that things are looking a wee bit different. Um, we're going to have a communion today as part of our service in this. I think it's probably the first time we've had communion uh, in person in getting on for about two years. So it's quite a special occasion and we've tried to have a wee think about how to do it. We're still not allowed to pass the plates around uh, within the congregation, although that, that may change fairly soon. But for today, we're going to do it a slightly different way and we're going to ask you when it comes to communion to actually come out from your seats. I will serve you a piece of bread from my tongs. Uh, so a piece of bread into your hand and then if you go across and you collect a thimble, if you drink your wine, haven't eaten your bread, and then just place the thimble in the empty vessels in the last wee table there. That would be great. And we'll just do that basically from the front towards the back. So if the people at the front come out first, make sure that you socially distance, give each other plenty of space as you gather at the front. But we'll just take our time and work our way down the church and anybody who wants to can come out and get uh, communion at the front. So I'll serve you the bread, you take the wee thimble of wine, and then you leave your empty in the vessels at the end. Now, if anybody would, is worried about that or worried about maybe tripping or anything or you're not great with mobility, just once, once people have come out, raise your hand and I'll bring the elements down to you and I can serve you um, in, your, in your seat if that works better for you. Hopefully that's all clear. Don't worry about doing it right. We're just a family. It doesn't matter about doing it right um, as long as we do it safely. Um, so if you're uneasy about coming out, just once people have come out, Raise your hand and I'll make sure that you get served uh, in your seat, okay? But it'll be nice to, to have that time uh, together today after a long time of not having communion together. Um, just a couple of other wee announcements. The house group uh, this week is scheduled. We had hoped we might meet in person, but I think we're going to have to Zoom again uh, this week. So the house group is on Thursday and I'll send around the link as usual uh, to those who come. And then uh, in conversation with Kirk Session, um, we've decided that next, after next Sunday's service, we're going to have a retiral offering um, for relief in Ukraine. Obviously, we've all been glued to the news over the last couple of weeks and seen the terrible things that are happening. We swithered about whether to do some kind of collection, um, and there's a lot of merit in that, but I understand a lot of the agencies are saying collections are great, but they take a lot of sorting through because people often give quite a lot of stuff that's not actually needed or helpful. And then it has to be transported, so it takes a lot of time. So a lot of the agencies are saying the best thing we can do at the moment is to give some finance so that they can get the aid directly and quickly to the people who need it most. So we're going to direct people online to the DEC uh, collection, which the government is supporting a pound for a pound. Every pound raised, the government will give another pound. But if you want to bring some uh, money next week um, to give to that aid, we as a church will put that in to the relief effort as well. Okay, so please do come. If you're coming next week, please do come prepared to, to support that if you would like to. Those are all our announcements. So we're going to begin our worship in the words of uh, hymn number 458, At the Name of Jesus.
to pray now and as we pray we're going to break up our prayers with a, a song response which is Lord of life we come to you and we're going to begin our prayer by singing this together just where we sit Gracious and merciful God, on this Lenten Sunday, we come together to worship you, to praise and to thank you, to seek your forgiveness and to ask for renewal. We come in the name of Christ, remembering his lonely days in the wilderness, 
his time wrestling with temptation and the ministry that followed on restoring and transforming so many lives as he spent time in quiet desert places so make this a time when we draw near to you with senses keen and ready to hear your word lord of life we come to you God help us to learn from Christ's example to search our hearts as he did to consider our calling to reflect on our faith to resist temptation and to commit ourselves more wholly to you help us recognize all that he has done for us through his life death and resurrection and the knowledge that in him we are both loved and restored. We come gladly to you, confessing our sins, acknowledging our faults, accepting our weakness, and receiving your promise of forgiveness. Lord of life, we come to you. Gracious and merciful God, in this time of Lenten waiting and preparation, speak to us today and in the days ahead so that we may know you more and love you better. Give us grace to discipline ourselves in obedience to your Spirit. And as you know our weakness, so may we know your power to save. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray together, saying, Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Now, boys and girls, do any of your family play golf? Put your hand up if someone you know plays golf. Could be mum, could be dad, could be granny, grandpa. Yeah, just one, just Willow, that all today. Okay, no golfers. Well, I hope this joke doesn't fall flat because it's a golfing joke. And it's a story about a minister. He was a very keen golfer, very keen golfer. And this minister woke up one Sunday morning and it was a beautiful day, a wee bit like today, blue sky, sunshine. And the minister looked out the window, he thought, oh, I'd love to be in a golf course today, but it's Sunday. I've got to do this service. Ugh. But this minister had a wee arrangement with his session clerk, who we'll call Alan, okay? And uh, he had said to Alan, Alan, you know, it's always a good idea for you to have a wee service up your sleeve, just in case maybe I fall ill suddenly some Sunday and I can't take the service. So it'd be good if you had something prepared just in case of an emergency. So they've had that arrangement. So the minister thought, this is my time to cash that in. So he rang up Alan and he said, oh, Alan, I'm just feeling very poorly today. I don't think I can take this service, Alan. Would, would you mind stepping in for me? And doing the service today and Alan being a very capable and obliging session clerk said no problem minister you just stay in your bed and I'll see to the service don't you worry about a thing so the minute the phone was down the minister jumped into the car he'd thrown his clubs into the back of the car and he drove about 50 miles to a course that he really liked where nobody would recognize him and nobody would know that he was skiving off church and he teed up at the first hole and he got his club out and he hit a brilliant shot, one of the best shots he'd ever hit, straight into the hole, hole in one, a hole in one. It normally takes you about, maybe if you're really good, it takes you 65, 70 shots to get round a golf course, right? If you're really bad like me, it takes you over 100, okay? And the minute he got a hole in one, and he was, oh, this is great, this is great. And he went to the second hole and he took out one of his big clubs because it was a, a big, big, long hole and he hit a really good shot. And the ball was sailing through the air when a buzzard came down and grabbed the ball mid-flight, carried it all the way to the green and dropped it into the hole. Another hole in one. And he went to the third hole. And he didn't hit such a good shot, but it got a lucky ricochet off a tree, rolled onto the green, rolled into the hole. Another hole in one. And that day the minister went round the golf course in 18 shots. A hole in one at every hole. And St. Peter's up in heaven with the angels. And he's scratching his head and he says, God, why did you give that man such a good round when he's skiving off church when he should be in church? And God said, think about it, Peter. Who's he going to tell about it? <laughs> now, we're thinking today in church and in Sunday school about a thing called temptation. Temptation. Does anybody know what temptation is? What is temptation? I'm sure you've all felt it. I wonder if you can tell me what it is. Anybody want to have a guess? Not sure. Well, temptation is when you find yourself wanting to do something that you know you probably shouldn't do. 
What was the minister's temptation in that story, that wee joke? Carol? That's right, he was supposed to be taking the service, but the temptation was to go and have a lovely game of golf on this lovely sunny day. He was tempted to do that and he gave in. Have any of you ever been tempted? Put your hand up, boys and girls, if you've ever been tempted to do something you know you probably shouldn't do. Adults, you can do the same. Put your hand up, adults, if you've ever been tempted to do something you shouldn't do. Well, there's lots of people here who've never been tempted. That's amazing. You must tell me your secret, because I'm tempted all the time. I think we are all tempted at different times. There's nobody who's never been tempted. Nobody. Even Jesus was tempted. And the Bible story that we're looking at today in church, and I think in Sunday school, is about a time when Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness, out in the desert. He was tempted to use his powers in the wrong way, in ways that might could have been a wee bit maybe selfish or a wee bit show-offy. And he didn't give in. So we're all tempted, even Jesus. And what I want you to understand this morning is that being tempted isn't wrong. It's what you do when temptation comes that really matters. Because every temptation is a wee bit like a fork in the road. You can go the way of the temptation and get into trouble, or you can go the other way and you can stay out of trouble by avoiding temptation. You can do the right thing. So what would the right thing have been for that minister and that joke? What should he have done? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, Emily, isn't it? That? He should have gone to church. He should have, yeah, he should have done what he was paid to do, gone to church and taken the service, that's right. So whenever we're faced with temptation, we've always got a choice about what we do. Do we follow the temptation or do we resist it? What do you think God wants us to do? Carl? Resist it. Yeah, to be strong and to try and choose the right way and not the wrong way. So I think you'll be talking some more about that in Sunday School Boys and Girls. And I, I, yeah, I've heard what Nicola's planning, so hopefully I think that could be quite fun. Okay. So it's Nicola and Elizabeth are taking the Sunday School today, and thank you for that. So I'll finish with another wee joke, okay? And this is a joke about... Uh, an old man and a young man who worked together in the same office. They worked at the other sides of the office, but they knew each other quite well, and they got along very well. And the young man noticed that the old man had a jar on his desk, and in that jar there were lots of peanuts. And the young man really liked peanuts. They were one of his favourite things. So when the old man was out one day, he helped himself to have gobbled them all down. He went back to his desk and the rest of the day went on. And as the day went on, he was feeling a bit bad. He thought, you know, I shouldn't really have done that. I shouldn't have taken Fred's peanuts like that. That was bad of me. He'd given in to temptation, hadn't he? And so he decided he would confess. And he went over to his friend, the old man Fred. He said, look, Fred, I'm really sorry. I noticed that you had this jar of peanuts on your desk. And I love peanuts. I'm really fond of peanuts. And so I helped myself. I'm sorry about that. And Fred said, oh, don't you worry about that, son. They're no use to me anyway. See, since the dentist pulled out all my teeth and I've just got my gums, I can't eat sweeties anymore anyway. All I can do is suck the chocolate off peanut M&Ms <laughs> and put the peanuts into that jar. So I'm just glad that you've got some use. <laughs> Don't give in to temptation, boys and girls. It never ends well. And it certainly didn't for that young fella. 
Okay, we're going to uh, continue with our service now with another hymn. And as we have this hymn, the boys and girls with their parents are going to leave. Parents, if you could sign them in in Sunday school and then come back to church. Don't go away and do a washing. Come back. Don't be tempted. Come back round the front of the church and just make your way in uh, and join us for the rest of the service. So the song that we're going to have is called uh, And Jesus Said. It's number 344. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, and reading verses 1 to 13, and François van Niekerk is going to read for us. Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. 
Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Amen. Thanks, Francois. Let's take a moment to pray together. Let's pray. Lord, these words are getting on for 2,000 years old, and yet they live because there is uh, truth within them that speaks just as vividly, just as importantly to folk in our place and time. Thank you that your word is living and active, your written word, but also your living word of Christ and his spirit who is with us now. And we ask that as we attend to this story this morning, you will bring home to our hearts whatever it is we need to hear and to learn and apply in our lives, that we might live well for your honour and glory and for the sake of your kingdom. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Although today's gospel lesson is ingrained in our imaginations, only two of the four gospels give the long version of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. John leaves it out altogether, and Mark's gospel covers the whole thing in two sentences. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days. Satan tempted him. Wild beasts kept him company, and angels waited on him. That's it. That's all that Mark knew, or all that he thought we needed to know about what happened between Jesus and the accuser wilderness. So if you remember more than that, you're remembering Matthew or you're remembering Luke because they're the only ones who go into any detail about what the devil said and what Jesus said back. And what that dialogue proves, among other things, is that biblical literacy is no guarantee of godliness. The devil knows exactly where to find the Bible verses he needs to put Jesus to the test. But Jesus knows more than what the Bible says. He knows how to do what the Bible says. And it's that kind of knowing that gets him through this time of testing in the wilderness. Every time the devil offered him more, more bread, more power, more protection, Jesus turned him down. No to the bread, Jesus said. Wrong timing. No to the kingdoms, he says. Wrong methodology. 
No to the angelic bodyguards, he says. It's wrong-headed to test God in that way. The only thing I need more of, he says, is God himself. So by the end of the story, the devil still has all his bribes in his bag and Jesus is free to go. Now chances are, you've already heard a dozen sermons on what Jesus and the devil said to each other in this account. So I thought that I would leave that part for today with a footnote that the events playing out in Ukraine show exactly what happens when people who should know better start worshipping at the altar of power, influence and self-aggrandizement. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul, as Christ would later say? Looking into his eyes and listening to his rhetoric, one can't help but wonder if Putin has already misplaced his soul somewhere. He's certainly putting the soul of his homeland in jeopardy not to mention the actual flesh and blood souls of the people of Ukraine and his own troops, many of whom seem deeply uneasy about what they're being asked to do. And we'll be praying into all of that later when we come to our time of communion. But to bring this Lenten story a wee bit nearer home, what I want to focus on this morning is where the test took place, the wilderness. Because I have a notion that every one of us has already been there. Maybe it looked like a hospital waiting room to you, or a wardrobe full of clothes that you haven't had the heart to part with since the funeral. Maybe the wilderness looks like your own life, but with all the colour and music drained out of it. Maybe it looks like two long, lonely, weary years stuck in a pandemic. The wilderness, whatever it looks like, isn't something that we tend to go looking for. Most of us spend a lot of our time and our money trying to stay as far away from it as possible, but the truth is it catches up with us all in the end. Every one of us will experience time in the wilderness, and our only choice is what we do when we find ourselves there. Now, I know that sounds like bad news, but I don't think it has to be. I think actually there may be some good news in there in disguise. Because even if nobody ever wants to go there, and even if those of us who end up there want out as soon as possible, the wilderness is still one of the most real, spirit-filled, life-changing places a person can find themselves in. Take Jesus in this story. How did he end up in the wilderness? The Spirit led him there. What was he full of in the wilderness? He was full of the Holy Spirit. What else did he live on? Nothing. There was an absolute purity in his focus. And how long was he there? long as it took to learn what he had to learn. And what did that long, dry stretch in the wilderness do to him? Well, it freed him. It freed him from all attempts to distract him 
from his true purpose. It freed him from hungry cravings for things that don't lead to life. And it freed him from all the illusions he might have had that God would make his choices for him. So after 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus hadn't only learned to manage his appetites, he'd also learned to trust the spirit that had led him there would be the same spirit who would lead him out again with the kind of clarity and grit that wasn't available anywhere else. This ancient wisdom about the value of wilderness time is just about lost in our culture, although the church talks a good game when it comes to Lent. But in practice, if we're honest, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to our living. I remember being with a, a group of Catholic students in university many years ago. Lent was more of a thing in their tradition. And they decided that they would give up their favorite vices for Lent. And so they duly had a chocolate and a swearing party the night before Ash Wednesday. Now, whether they enthusiastically took up those vices again on Easter Sunday, I'm not sure. But for all that our Lenten practice has become trivialized, the core of Lenten wisdom is still there. The truth that anybody who wants to follow Jesus all the way to the cross needs the kind of clarity and grit that is only found in the wilderness. And so from Ash Wednesday, Wednesday past through to Easter Sunday, Christians are invited to do without some things they're perfectly capable of having, like a surfeit of food and round-the-clock distraction. And also to take on some things that they're equally capable of avoiding. Like prayer and reflection. Taking stock of how they are. Or facing up to the painful situations in their lives and dealing with them. Rather than just avoiding them. We call that time Lent. And it comes from an old English word that means lengthen the lengthening of days in spring and maybe the lengthening stems of plants and flowers that symbolize the new greening of the soul and the very fact that you're here today or maybe watching online shows that you want to grow as people and as believers i think but few of us know how to do that and that's why lent comes to us not as a burden but as a gift if you want to grow your soul, says Len, try a spell in the wilderness. A few weeks of choosing to live on less, not more. Of practicing subtraction rather than addition. Not because your regular life's bad, but because you want to make sure it's your real life, the one that you long to be living, which can be hard to do when you're living according to the script that your culture hands to you. So some folk, to try and find that real life within them, will wean themselves off social media for Lent. They'll practice setting the phone or the iPad down. I know others who give up watching so much television or recreational shopping. Others who rethink how and when and what they're consuming. Of course, none of that would impress people who've spent their whole lives trying to figure out where the next meal is coming from. But in a culture of plenty, 
like ours. Hats off to anybody who tries to learn how to do without their anesthesia for a while. To give up whatever it is they're consuming that keeps them from feeling what it really feels like to live the kind of lives that they're living. Because almost all of us use something for comfort. If not anesthesia, then trashy novels, social media, exercise, food, malt whiskey, Netflix. None of those are bad things. But I think we all know that they can be distractions too, things to reach for when you're too tired or too sad or too afraid to enter into the wilderness of the present moment that you're living. The problem for most of us in our part of the world is that we're so used to distraction, we can't go from setting down the mobile phone to hearing the still small voice of God in the wilderness. If it worked like that, we wouldn't need Lent at all. But the Maker knows that. He remembers that we are dust. And that's why he's prescribed 40 whole days for finding out what life is like without the comfort of our usual painkillers, whatever they may be. Once you take off the headphones, silence can become really loud. Once you turn off the television, an evening can get surprisingly long. After a while, you can start thinking that all of this quiet emptiness, or worst case, all this howling wilderness, is a sign of things gone badly wrong. But after you've reached for your usual comforter a few times, and remember that it's not there, not because somebody's stolen it, but because you've made a conscious decision to give it up for a while, then you may discover a whole new level of conversation within yourself. Are you hungry? Yes, I'm starving. Well, what's wrong with that? Are you dying? No. Can you stand being hungry for a while longer? I suppose so. Okay, what else? Are you lonely? Yes, I am. I'm terribly lonely. Okay, well, what's wrong with being alone? For a while. Will it kill you? No. But I don't like it. That's not what I asked. Can you live through it? Probably not, but I'll try. Our minds, our geniuses are telling us that trying to live without our little comforts is going to kill us. But that's rarely, if ever, true. People who choose the wilderness of Lent tend to emerge from the experience far more alive and awake to reality than when they start. Only one person can make your wilderness journey in length, and that's you. And you alone know what that journey might look like because only you know what devils have your number and what kind of bribes they might offer to get you to answer the phone. All I know for sure is that a voluntary trip into the desert this length is a great way to practice getting free of those devils for life. Not only 
because the wilderness is where you lose your appetite for things that can't save you but it's also where you learn to trust the spirit that led you there to lead you out again ready to worship the lord your god and to serve no other all the days next hymn picks up on our gospel story from today it's number 338 jesus tempted in the desert 